Prayer is the topic of focus as we wrap up our series that we've been in. Uh, We're wrapping up the Connected series, the blueprint uh, that we have found in Acts with the early church, the blueprint for their growth and for the blessing that God had on the church, the way he used them so mightily. And we've said throughout this series that it's a blueprint that we should absolutely look at ourselves, focus on here in in our context, in our time, that we can draw a lot of application from. I hope you have already done that. I hope that as we have gone through this series, we've looked at each of the connection points that we've focused on. I hope that you have personally applied that, and uh, my prayer is that we as a church will apply that going forward. Uh, And as we do that, we will certainly see God honor it as, as the early church did. So as we finish up, With this series, we're talking today about how the early church and as we should be connected by prayer. Connected by prayer. Acts 2.42 has been our our anchor text as we've gone through this series and looked at each aspect of the connection that the early church had and and pursued and implemented. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And just like with the breaking of bread that we talked about last week, in the original text, it reads, the prayers. Just like we said last week, the definite article is so important, the breaking of the bread, referring to communion. Uh, There is an emphasis here on the fact that it's actually the prayers. And it refers to, the reason that it's there is it refers to specific, organized times of corporate prayer as the church met. So we're not talking about individual prayer lives. We're not talking about individual prayer time. All of that is important. But what the text is referring to, just like each of those other connection points, it's referring to a very specific, very deliberate, organized, corporate gathering. So a corporate prayer time as the church met. Whether that was in a large meeting in the temple, which they did, they went to the temple and gathered and prayed and worshipped, or if it was in small gatherings, in believers' homes, which also happened. No matter where it was, these times of prayer pointed to the fact that prayer saturated, saturated every aspect of the early church. Prayer saturated every aspect, every part of the early church life. And by no means was that limited to the first church. We've seen that precedent and that pattern all through history, all through the body of Christ, especially when new churches are birthed. In one region of Africa, the first converts to Christianity there were also very intentional about making sure prayer was a big priority. And the believers each had their own special place outside the village where they went to pray in solitude. The villagers reached these prayer rooms, if you will. They weren't rooms, but they were designated for their own personal prayer. So they reached these prayer areas or prayer rooms by using their own private footpaths through the brush. And as they would go day after day, the the brush got worn down and there was a natural trail Uh, that was able to be followed. And when grass began to grow over one of these trails, it was obvious that the person to whom that trail and that prayer area belonged 
had not been there in a while, that they weren't praying as much. And because these new Christians were concerned for each other's spiritual welfare and knew that their spiritual welfare was directly connected to prayer, whenever anyone noticed an overgrown prayer path, then he or she would go to that person and lovingly say, friend, there's grass on your path. And that was a a way of telling them, you need to get back to praying again. So my question to you, to me, to all of us is, is there grass on our path today? How's your prayer path? Have you personally slacked on making prayer a priority in your life? Or is the grass nice and worn down so you can easily see that trail and go to it day in, day out, moment by moment, hour by hour? How's your prayer path? It's a question we need to all ask of ourselves. Is there grass growing over it or is it as it should be? Leonard Ravenhill, a very powerful servant of God that uh, was a pastor for many, many years, wrote great, great books that uh, just will, will challenge no matter where you are in life and no matter where we live and what time we're living in, it will challenge God's people every time God's people would, would pick up one of his books and actually think about what he write, writes. Uh, he wrote this about prayer. The true church lives and moves and has its being in prayer. The true church lives and moves and has its being in prayer. He wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. And his main premise in that book, Why Revival Tarries, I mean, he certainly brings up many reasons for that, but his main premise, the main thrust of that, of his reason that he gives for why revival tarries is because the church does not pray. The church has forgotten to pray. They've been distracted. They've, they've looked at other things. They've focused in, in other areas, or they've not focused at all. And that if the church would return to being a praying church, then truly revival would happen. The true church lives and moves and has its being in prayer. The reason that the early church in Acts and other churches throughout history have made such a priority on prayer, that have emphasized it so much, have built it up, have pursued it so heavily, is because of this timeless, universal truth. A praying church will be a unified church. A praying church will be a unified church. Jesus, before he went to the cross to give his life for the church, in John 17, it's recorded that he prayed for really one thing. Of all the things he could pray for, of all the things he could emphasize, it's recorded that he asked the Father that his church would be, what, you tell me, you know this, one, unified He said, I pray for my followers that I leave in the world. I'm coming to you very soon, Father. I'm I'm leaving them. I'm coming to you. I've completed the work you've sent me to do, but that doesn't mean the work is done. So I'm leaving my followers in the world. I don't pray that you take them out of the world. They're not of the world just as I am not of the world, 
But I don't pray that you take them out. I pray that you, you leave them where they're at. And I pray this for them. That they would be one as I am in you and you are in me. That the world may see such oneness and unity in them that they will know that you sent me. He prayed for a unified church. And a praying church will be a unified church. We see that on display uh, over and over again in the early church with all that they did. Um, And it certainly took place before what we read in Acts chapter 2 with the, uh, the occurrence of, of the, uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out and the early church starting and all that went with that. Uh, it, it went before that, long before that happened, right as Jesus ascended to his Father when the, the disciples went back to Jerusalem to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to wait for Pentecost, which today is, by the way, Today is Pentecost, marks really the, the beginning, the official beginning of the church. And as they were waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, they were, they were together and they were waiting. And Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 tell us this, Then they, and this is, this is the disciples that had just seen Jesus go back up to heaven as he promised. They just heard from the angels And the angel said, what are you doing standing around here? What's wrong with you? Why are you looking up at the clouds? You know, you've got work to do. Jesus will come again, but until then, he's told you to go and be on mission. So go go do it. The Holy Spirit's going to come. You need to wait for the promise of God. But stop staring at the clouds. So Acts chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, where Jesus returned to his father from, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, just down the road. Verse 13, when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all were, and notice this, they all were continually united in prayer. They all were continually, you could also say persistently, united in prayer. Why? Because a praying church will be a unified church. They knew that. They got that. Even before before the official start of what we know as the church, they knew that. They practiced it. They all were continually united in prayer along with the women. So this wasn't just a boys club. Along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. That is astounding to me. Here's Mary, the mother of Jesus, his earthly mother, who as part of his humanity, his full humanity, wiped his tears mended his scraped knees, held him, fed him, watched him leave home to start his ministry, saw the miracles he performed, saw the rejection of the people, saw him betrayed, arrested, tried, crucified, and put in a tomb. 
also saw him rise from the grave and knew herself that not only was he her earthly son, but he was her promised Savior. Think about that. Mary, the mother of Jesus, needed her son to save her. And she put her faith in him as her Messiah and was part of his church, along with his brothers who also came to faith in him as their Savior and were used by him mightily as leaders in the church, writers of some of the New Testament. So they were all there gathered. And what were they doing? They were continually uniting in prayer because a praying church will be a unified church. The flip side of that, obviously, is that lack of prayer in a church leads to a lack of unity. That's the flip side that's very important to understand, to be aware of, to be guarded against. Because if there is a lack of prayer in any church, there will absolutely be a lack of unity. So we have to take a hard look at ourselves. We have to evaluate what's the level of our unity in our church, in this church. And if we are lacking in unity, a good sign of why or a good reason for why is because there is a lack of prayer, of shared, combined, corporate prayer. And along with that, if participation in times of prayer as a church, the times where we do gather for prayer, corporate prayer, if participation in times of of church-wide prayer is weak, then guess what? That church, any church, will be inevitably weak in times of trial and difficulty. And times of trial and difficulty are, are going to come. That's also inevitable. I mean, we've seen that recently. Nobody knew COVID was coming. Nobody expected that and to derail all that it derailed and shut down all that it shut down. And that was just a physical disease, you know? I mean, those are a dime a dozen. What about the the day of political pressure, political opposition, political persecution? We can't be naive enough to think that that will never come here. I mean, because this is West Virginia. And yeah, it is. It's West Virginia. We're, as a state, we're pretty conservative. We've got a lot of things that even other states in the country don't have anymore. I mean, we've seen how quickly long-held freedoms, long-expected freedoms can be slowly diminished. We don't have to look that far. Just look to the west. Look to the north of our border. We've been pretty much, for the most part, unscathed with that. But that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. So, I mean, here's what we all know. We all know that times of various trials, adversity, difficulty, discouragement, problems, negative reality, all of that can just come our way in an instant. And so the question is, how will we hold up against that or under that? What will be our response? How will we continue? How will that affect us? And there's really two things that serve as the anchor for a church in any time of storm or trial or adversity. It's the Word of God and it's the prayers of the people of God. And so if participation in either one is lacking, 
then inevitably that church will be weak when those times come. So a church that is a praying church will be a unified church. Also, here's what we see that the early church knew, implemented, applied, followed, pursued. Another important and timeless truth. That's this. A church that prays together experiences God's power together. So first of all, a praying church will be a unified church, and also, right along with that, a church that prays together, and I would add consistently, experiences God's power together. Together in a unified manner. Acts chapter 2, verses 46-47 through says, Every day... Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. So there's worship, there's corporate worship, along with prayer, corporate prayer. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. That's different from communion, that's fellowshipping together. We've talked about the importance of fellowship. We're giving you opportunities this summer, every Wednesday for fellowshipping of different types. Some will be around serving together. Some will be around meals together. Some will be around just having a good time together. Fellowship's important. We see that here represented in this statement that they broke bread from house to house. They enjoyed meals together. They enjoyed fellowshipping together. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day... The Lord, not them, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That is the power of God on display, church. That's the power of God on display, active in the early church. And I want to suggest to you that that all came from the fact that they were a praying church. They would not experience the Lord adding to their number daily those who were being saved. They would not have experienced the 3,000 people that came into the church on day one when Peter preached his first sermon. 3,000 people added to this first church. Just like that. Boom. That would not have happened had they not gathered already, as we saw in Acts chapter 1, as soon as Jesus ascended to the Father, they went back to the upper room. Had they not made prayer a priority then, then I, I just I don't see the power of Pentecost happening. It's all tied to the fact that they were a praying church. And not only is it that we see the fact that the Lord was adding to their number as an evidence of His power on display, I see the fact that they had favor with all the people. That itself is a supernatural thing. I mean, how hard is it for anybody to have favor of a large group of people? I mean, you know you. You know that there's not that many people that like you. Right? Some of you less than others. I mean, so... And and then you, you take any type of Christian thing. Think about our culture. Our society, is, is Christianity something that's just favorable and accepted and respected and super popular and just easy for everybody to, to hear and be part of? No, of course not. 
I mean, you take the largest church in America and you compare it with America as a whole and the culture at large and how they view even the, I mean, the biggest megachurch you can think of. It's not, for the most part, it's not going to be favorable. It's going to be looked at with scorn and cynicism. It's not going to be readily accepted. Certainly that's, that's not true in the political realm. You get my point. I mean, we know this. And the same would have been true in the first century. What is the context that the early church was in? The Roman Empire. Pagan as can be. Liberal. More than we can really even wrap our minds around. I mean, yeah, we have a liberal society, but it's still not even close to what Roman society would have been. So it was pagan, it was, it was godless, it was antagonistic towards different religions, and I mean, it was, it was a harsh environment, to say the least. And then you had, you had the Jewish authorities that weren't exactly too favorable about the name of Jesus and all that He represented. I mean, they had just tried to kill Him. They did kill Him. They did kill Him. And He rose from the dead despite their best efforts to keep Him dead. So, I mean, the environment that the early church was in was not what we would consider naturally favorable to it. And yet, this tells us that they they were able to enjoy the favor of all the people. That's people outside of the church. The people beyond the church itself. So both of these things here the favor of the people and the fact that the Lord added to the church's number those who are being saved every single day, clear evidence of God's power. And the church was able to experience that together. Why? Because they were praying together. It's clear throughout history that a significant, obvious work of God, like a a manifest undeniable work of God where we can all point to it and say, wow, look, look at what God is doing. That is, that is just a mighty work of God. When we can look at that throughout history, it's obvious that any of that kind of work, an obvious work of God, is preceded by His people making prayer a top priority. We see it here at the beginning of the establishment of the church. You can go through uh, history and trace all the major historical revivals. Look at the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, all these different major historical revivals that have taken place and swept their nations by storm. Every major work of God that we can, we can track is preceded by His people, by the church, making prayer together a top priority. Put another way, Spirit-driven revival, like a true reviving work of the Holy Spirit. It occurs when Christ's church makes participating in prayer together a high priority. The day of Pentecost is the first example of that. After the believers were united in prayer. Talked, I mentioned the, the various historical revivals, even in our own land all the way up to the recent ones, like the Asbury University. That wasn't that long ago. You know, the months-long, unbelievable revival that took place on the campus of Asbury University. It just seemed like it was never going to end. 
And where, how did it start? It started in a prayer meeting. It started in a prayer chapel. And it just kept going from there. So a church that prays together experiences God's power together. And like I said about the, the church, that, uh, the unified church being a praying church, and the flip side of that, you know, that if there's a lack of prayer in the church, there's going to be a lack of unity. Well, the flip side of this, the flip side of a, of a church praying together, experiencing God's power together, the flip side is that a lack of prayer in the church results in a lack of prayer for the church. Maybe some of you have had a thought or made a statement along the lines of, I just don't, I just don't see much power in our church. I just don't feel like there's that much power in our church. Why is that? What's the reason? Well, I would suggest that the biggest reason is lack of prayer. Lack of priority for shared, corporate, public prayer together. A lack of prayer in the church results in a lack of prayer for the church. Author Glenn Martin wrote a book called Powerhouse. And he said this, I I really want you to hear this, this quote. Prayer should be seen much more as a pillar of the church, which if not there or weak will cause the whole structure to be in danger of collapsing. This is a more accurate picture of the reality of prayer in the life of a healthy church. So a healthy church will view prayer as such a priority, corporate, shared, together prayer, they'll view it as such a priority that they will see it as a pillar holding up the very building. It's important, church. It's important. And maybe the reason that more of you don't come out to our times of prayer that we have, that we offer, and pray together with your brothers and sisters in Christ out loud, maybe it's because you have a fear. You know, a fear of of praying. Maybe it's because you feel like you're not as experienced in praying as some of the others that do come out to that. You know, maybe prayer, for whatever reason, is an intimidating thing for you. I can understand that. But with all the love I can muster in saying this, it's not a good enough excuse. That's not good enough to keep you. That's not good enough to justify your lack of participation in those times of prayer. Just because you might be a little nervous about praying out loud with others in a group, that's just not good enough reason to not come and do it. And and the reason I say that, the reason it's not justifiable, the reason that's not a good enough reason is because just like everything else in the Christian life, It's not up to you to find some source of strength in yourself. You have been given the power that you need to do everything you're supposed to do as a Christian, including prayer with other believers. 
If it were just about you trying to to do this on your own, if, if the act or practice of prayer, like everything else in the Christian life, if it were up to you alone to figure out how to do it, that might be a that might be a good enough reason for not doing it. But like everything else in the Christian life, you've been given the power, the ability, the guidance, the direction to do this, to to pray, to pray out loud, to pray with your, your brothers and sisters in Christ like everything else in your walk with Christ. Here's, here's what I mean by that. I'm going to frame it in a statement, okay? Every believer, every believer, that, that includes you, every believer has a divine prayer partner. And he will always be there to help us. And we will always need his help when we pray. Every believer has a divine prayer partner. And we will always need his help when we pray, and He will always be there to give us that help that we need. Here's what I mean. Here's who I'm referring to. Romans 8, 26-27 says this, The Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the divine prayer partner I was referring to just a second ago. Romans 8, 26-27. The Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Everybody hear that? The Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we, this is all of us, from the new Christian who's trying to figure out this whole prayer thing to the seasoned veteran Christian and veteran powerhouse prayer, we, all of us collectively, we do not know what to pray for as we should. But, see here's why the the reason I just don't like praying in public is not a good enough reason But the Spirit Himself, God the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints, you and me, according to the will of God. That means, Christian, as you pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And He's taking your feeble little prayer and He's interceding with that to God the Father. And God the Father hears the Holy Spirit praying your prayer along with you. Is that not just astounding? How good is God that He gives us literally every single thing we need for all that He's called us to be and to do. Incredible. This should free everyone. This should free everyone from from feeling any fear or pressure in terms of praying in a public setting, out loud with fellow believers. This should free you from all of that. Knowing that it's not up to you and it's not about you. Your prayer is a prayer to God along with your fellow brothers and sisters, and it's the Holy Spirit Himself who intercedes for you as you pray. I mentioned that we have times of prayer here at this church that there needs to be more participation in. We have two very specific prayer opportunities every single week. One is on Sunday morning. Right back there, everybody turn and look at the back there. There's that room right there. And next to that window, there's a sign. You know what the sign says? 
Anybody know without looking? Prayer room. Imagine that. A room designated for prayer. So every Sunday morning, there's about three or four, Cormie, three or four that sit in that room together and they don't gossip, they don't talk, they don't tell jokes. They pray for what's happening right here and what's happening over here with the music, the worship. They pray for what's happening right there in the chairs where you're sitting. In other words, they pray for a work of God as He wills it, according to His will, His desire, what He wants to happen, what He knows needs to happen. They pray for God to work in hearts and minds through every detail of what happens in our corporate gathering. They pray every single Sunday morning, three or four. You know what would be great? is for that room to fill up to the point where we need a bigger space for our prayer room for Sunday morning. The second opportunity that we have every single week is on Wednesday night. Wednesday night at 6.30, we meet for prayer. The men come out here. We meet over here in the back there in the sanctuary here. The women meet out in the foyer area. And... Let me tell you, despite how small our groups are, and, and they are small. I mean, we're, I mean, if we have 10 in either, either group, then we are like, we're packed for, for that time. It's usually five, six, seven. But let me tell you, for a small group, for the men, and, and I know the same is true for the women, there is power on display every single Wednesday night. Our times of prayer together some of the most powerful displays of unity that I have seen. And guess what's prompted that? The COVID shutdown. It actually caused us to return to making prayer on Wednesday nights a priority where that's what we focused on. Not tacked on at the end of another miniature Sunday service, that we call Wednesday night Bible study. Oh, and there's a couple minutes where we pray at the end. No, it went from that to we pray for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. Prayer. Praying for you. Praying for our fellow brothers and sisters in this body. Praying for our town. Praying for our state. Praying for our nation. Praying for our families. Begging God to grab the hearts of our children. We... We go through the throne room together. You know why? Because Jesus opened the doors for us. The scepter's been extended. And we know that we don't just have the way open to us. We have the Holy Spirit right there next to us interceding as we pray. We need to see more of you there. We need to see more of you there. Because a praying church will be a unified church. And a lack of prayer in a church will lead to a lack of unity. A church that prays together will experience God's power together. A lack of prayer means we won't have the power we need for this church. And every single believer has a divine prayer partner to help us as we pray. Now, to close this message, to close this service, I've asked two individuals that are faithful in those prayer times, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, to come and actually lead us in prayer. Cindy Kearns is with us. She's going to come on down, and she's going to start 
to lead us in prayer and to close us out and following her will be Cormie. I just want to thank the Lord for these two individuals. Church, these two people are, are true faithful prayer warriors that pray for you day in and day out without fail. And they will tell you that they're not anything special, that their prayers aren't magical. They just know they're called to pray and they know that God listens and God responds when we pray. And they have a heart to do that. So Cindy, without me saying anything else, would you just pray and ask God to grip the hearts of this church to be more of a praying church and then our brother Cormie will follow you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. We come humbly, as you have asked us to do, to humble ourselves and draw near to you, and you will draw near to us. And we thank you for that promise. We humbly acknowledge our weakness in corporate prayer. We thank you for the individuals who pray faithfully, and we know that 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 pleases you, and you delight in that. But we have also seen where there is power in corporate prayer. We've seen wonderful answers in praying together, and we draw strength from that. And we would wish that for every every individual in our sanctuary today, that they too would find that fellowship with you and with others in prayer and see how mightily you work. We agree with your servant Jeremiah who said, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth. Is anything too hard for you? We know there's nothing too hard for you. And we ask for our church today that we would be the light in this community you have called us to be. We ask for unity in this local church that we can't maintain on our own. We know that unity pleases you. Even when we have differences of opinion, we can still pray together and work together. And we thank you that prayer is something that all of us of all ages can do You've given us that lifeline with you, and you, you work when your people unite together in heart and mind, beseeching you on your throne for your intervention. So we pray for unity in our church. We pray that you would raise up some great prayer warriors from this group, even call those who are afraid to pray together. Lord, we pray that um, you would help us to walk together, to do what, what the early church did in Acts chapter 2. And, and we just commit all of this into your hands. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father. We've distinctly heard you speak to us this morning. And we thank you for that. For allowing us to hear your voice through our pastor as he speaks the word of God, the written word, your word. 
Now, Lord, it's our turn to speak to you, to respond to you and what you said to us. Oh, God, don't allow us to destroy this small assembly by our lack of prayer. Don't allow us to cut off your power for this group by not praying. Don't allow us, Heavenly Father, to destroy the unity that we already have as we allow our prayer path to be overgrown. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you gave us that illustration this morning about the grass growing in the, in the uh, prayer path. Lord, help us to not just think about praying, not just talk about it, but Lord, bring us together to pray, to speak to you with the wants, desires of our heart, to talk to you about this local assembly, this church, this small church that's gathered here in Prosperity, West Virginia. Lord, I just can't imagine what it would be like if we didn't have at least some people praying. I suppose that we would just disassemble. I suppose we'd just fall apart. Lord, don't allow us to let our prayer pass become grown over. That someone would have to remind us that the grass is growing in our prayer path. To me, Lord, that's what that message this morning that we got from our, through our pastor said to me. That I and we have allowed our prayer paths to become overgrown. So I pray, Heavenly Father, about the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given us to live within us, to give us guidance and direction, to give us comfort when it's needed, to pour out grace upon us as it's needed. I pray that that Holy Spirit that lives within us, your presence right here with us, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll stir us, that the Holy Spirit would stir us to not only just pray individually, but to come together on a regular basis to pray for one another, pray with one another, and to pray for our church. I ask this in the name of our Savior, because before he went away to heaven, he said that if we pray anything in his name, that he'd fill us with joy. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you give us, that when we pray, you act. And I ask this in his name. Amen.